Well, hello everyone and welcome to the Edge of Creativity podcast. I'm your host, Cassie Kincaid, and joining with me today is Dr. Ron Tykoski, Vice President of Science and Curator of Vertebrae Paleontology. Dr. Ron, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for asking me to come on the show. I am so excited to have you with us today. It was such a joy filming with you several years ago um, at the Pro Museum in Dallas, one of the most esteemed museums around. And I just had such a great time with you. I thought it, our listeners just had to, to meet you themselves and to learn about paleontology in a different light today, focused on creativity. Well, I'm glad to be here. Anything I can do to kind of relay that to the, to the audience, tell them what we do creativity, creativity-wise as a paleontologist, I'm glad to help out with. I feel like paleontology is one of those just almost idolized, um, you know, careers as kids, you know, boys and girls, they love dinosaurs, dinosaur books, dinosaur bones. I mean, I was honestly a little starstruck when I met you two years ago because I had never met a real life paleontologist (laughs) coming from the world of early childhood education. You know, that was something that I can cross off my bucket list. Uh, So what is it? What is it about the the world of paleontology that has just intrigued you for, for a career? Well, I'm I was one of those kids that got totally enthralled with paleontology from, from the earliest age. Uh, you know, as, as far as uh, I can remember, as far back as I can remember, I've always wanted to be a paleontologist. I was one of those little kids who loved dinosaurs, got into it in all ways and uh, shapes possible, the imagination ran wild. One of my, uh, my very first, I like to tell people, my very first dig was in, uh, I was about three to four years old, and uh, decided I was going to go find a dinosaur in my backyard. And uh, it's remarkable how large of a hole a three-year-old can dig with a shovel when they're unsupervised for a you know, half hour or so or whatever. So <laughs> I wound up making a big hole in the backyard and uh, got, got in a little trouble, I think, on that one. But, um, but yeah, that's, I've always wanted to do this. And uh, I'm just one of those like, really fortunate people who things aligned right, uh, star sort of aligned and allowed me to continue on this path all the way into adulthood and successfully do that paleontology thing. So it wasn't just a phase for you. I know as kids, we just, you know, love dinosaurs. And there's this kind of a phase to where we're like, oh, we can't just dig up dinosaur bones, you know, 24-7. Uh, what was it that clicked for you that it wasn't just a passing phase? You know, again, that's really different for every person. But for me, um, I don't know why I stuck with it per se. There was probably a time, say, in middle school, high school, where I thought about going in different directions, whatever. I'm all, I have a lot of different interests and in, uh, uh, history and natural science and things like that beyond paleontology. And so, um, but one of the things that was important for me was having extremely supportive parents who, we, we did not come from great means, I will say. And so, uh, it was actually a, uh, it was a thing for us to do in the summer. It would be to go to the nearest natural history museum. If you want, it's free. Yeah. So it was cool. And uh-huh. so uh, once a summer, my folks would take us about 30 miles north of where we live to the natural history museum on the campus of the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And uh, I can remember being about five years old, standing on a balcony, looking out across 
up from a balcony on the third floor looking out onto the paleontology hall with an allosaurus skeleton and a mastodon and a bunch of these things, all these exhibits and everything in this amazing place. And my parents stand there next time me going, you know, you work really hard in school. Maybe someday you can come work here at this museum. Okay, fine. Well, that's easy enough. And so you make a point of doing that and you take it to heart. You know, it literally drills itself into a little kid's head like that. Like, oh, is that all it takes? Okay, no problem. And so uh, I like to point out that 13 years later, as a freshman undergraduate at that same university, I was the first person in line at the work-study job fair table lining up to sign up to be a docent, a museum docent at that very same museum. And so uh, from that moment on, I was hired on and worked for the next five years in that very museum. And my folks said, well, if you work hard enough, maybe somebody you come work here. Well, son of a gun, I did. So it's like, you always watch out what you tell a little kid they can do or whatever. So, uh, but no, they also instilled in me this idea that, that you can do anything you want. And so I really do believe that. And I've instilled that in my kids as well. You can be as big as you want as long as you work hard for it. Can you tell us how you ended up at the Perot Museum? Because, I mean, around here, the Perot Museum is a very big deal. I'm sure in the country. Um, how, how did you go from the student and then land to such a prestigious role at the Perot? Well, after, uh, after wrapping up a degree in geology at Michigan, uh, then I really quickly got married, <laughs> like a month, month later. And, uh, and applied to grad school, graduate school at a place that had the same sorts of things I had got interested in. And that turned out to be the University of Texas at Austin. So my brand new wife and I, we moved all the way across the country to Austin, Texas, and embarked. Uh, I embarked on a graduate degree program. So while there, I had wonderful opportunities to learn an incredible amount from uh, wonderful faculty members had access to the largest paleontology collection in the entire state of Texas, which is a, never a bad thing to have uh, at your fingertips. So uh, and I also worked, uh, I had started as another job at Michigan. I learned how to do fossil preparation. I don't know what that is. That means that's the process of taking a fossil that's raw on the rock or whatever and cleaning it up, putting it together, reassembling it, getting it in the condition that it can be either studied or exhibited or both. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times you can't do much with it when you first come out of the ground. So I learned under one of the best fossil preparators in the world there at Michigan, learned those techniques, spent four years working in his lab, and I brought those with me down to Austin. And so not only did I study, but I was also able to work on my own fossils, which actually helped the process quite a bit. And uh, in, as those degrees were wrapping up, I was finishing up my PhD. You know, finally, it's like, wow, I'm going to have to graduate do something with this. Wow, that's terrifying. So the opportunity came up, just happened, a, uh, an opening came up for a fossil preparator at what was then the Dallas Museum of Natural History, just 200 miles up the road from Austin. Mm -hmm. so when I graduated, uh, I applied for that. The uh, curator at the time took a look at my resume, came on down, used it as an excuse to come visit the collections in Austin. Eh, I'm going to come visit the collection. Oh, and I'll interview this guy. And so uh, he killed two birds with one stone. And uh, there it worked out. They hired me on and wrapped up the PhD. And two weeks later, I was in Dallas and uh, started embarking on that journey. So I started here at the, at the museum as a, uh, as a fossil preparator. And over the course, that was in 2005. So now over 18 plus years, um, I've stuck around long enough here. They, they keep promoting me into other positions. So there you go. I'm director of the lab, to a curator, and now I'm the vice president of science here, which now means I oversee 
not just the paleontology, but also the collections and our gender minerals and other aspects. Wow, that's incredible. I love how people's stories, like where, how they got started, because it, it just sheds so much light on like who they are and honestly how they become creative and use their creative skills throughout their life and, and, you know, mold those as well. So how would you say that you use creativity in your role as both vice president and as curator? Because those are two different things. So uh, on sort of the vice president side, the vice president science thing, I inter- uh, interact a lot with mm-hmm. our exhibits team, our learning team, so our educators and things like that, trying to come up with content. Um, you've seen the exhibits in the building. Now, I wasn't the vice president of science back then. I was still a fossil preparator back then, but I was one of the paleontologists we had on staff at that. So many of the things that you see on exhibit in that building, I had a hand in developing the content helping select stuff, helping advising the exhibit companies that we hired to build and mount these things. Like, oh, this is the way this should look, and this is what this should say. Having that vision of, you know, this should look like this. This animal would look like, if you use your imagination, close your eyes and look like that, and try to relay that, that the creativity required to describe something to somebody else in a way that they can see, somebody who's not an expert in the field, but they can understand and go, oh, I can now see what you're saying. You know, there's not just, hands-on creativity, there's creativity of the spoken word, there's creativity in relaying ideas, of taking complex ideas and making them simple. Mm-hmm. That's true talent there, is taking something that's complex, explaining it to a five-year-old, having them go, oh, yeah, I get that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. If you can do that, you can really succeed with your ability to creatively describe and relay a message. And so there's parts of that, but even today, uh, being able to advise in the direction exhibit should go or the content something we should be going towards this or that. Or even now, even like overall research program. Um, we're, we've shifted our program here out of necessity to be a bit more focused on our regional story. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, and so how do we now cater that message? How do we get people excited here? So a slightly different angle teaching about the history of our planet, the world around us, the, uh, the direction our planet might be going, the world, the bio- biological world around us. How do you relay that? How do you get people to understand and get excited about it? Not just the public, but also my coworkers. How do I explain to an exhibit? How do I explain to a designer? How do I create an image? How do I sketch something out for them so that they can understand it? So that's great. Or they look at it and go, that's you don't always take it a home run. You get a swing and a miss on you. And so uh, those sorts of things like that, sort of on that, that people still like creativity of knowing how to speak to people in a respectful way that gets them excited uh, and gets them on your team. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, you know, talking with all kinds of different people with all kinds of different backgrounds about creativity, this might be the first time that it's come up about well, creativity, like how to, get something across to somebody else we think about creativity as you know all these other things of you know maybe problem solving or you know in the arts or things like that but there is so much creativity in like you said how do I get all these scientific things out to the common person that knows nothing about dinosaurs or in leadership how to get certain ideas across I love that there are people who make something complex 
they're the people who are able to take those complex things, make them understandable, relatable, and the least number of words. Mm -hmm. And so if you have that skill, because I know plenty of extremely smart people, way smarter than I am. They know the ins and outs of things. I just look at it and go, oh, I'm a drooling fool compared to this individual. But boy, they can't explain something very well because they're too dang smart for their own good, basically. Um, and having incredible knowledge is wonderful, but it's limiting. You can't pass that on and relay it to somebody else a format they can understand. And so as somebody who works in the museum profession, I'm constantly forced to make sure everyone can understand. So there is a level. There is also a lot hands-on creativity that you described. Uh, to be able to wrap your minds around three to making copies of three-dimensional objects like that, that is an incredible skill as well. And so uh, that's where paleontology will bring in that ability, that hands-on artistic skill set. The best fossil preparators you will ever find are people who are wonderfully skilled technicians, artists, artistic, creative eye, hands, and then paleo art. I mean, come on. I don't care if you're an adult, you're a little kid. You look at some really cool pictures of painting of dinosaurs and the environment and their life like and stuff like that. Come on, everybody's like that. Um, for goodness sakes, old Jurassic Park and Jurassic World franchises are just think about the, the creativity it took for the programmers and the artists who had to create those digital objects, those, those animals, and make them believable. Uh, so many different facets to it. There are so many different facets, and I, I love how you kind of encapsulate everything, the the communication to your team, to, you know, people come that come to the museum, and also the, the hands-on skills, how to put the bones together. I remember you saying uh, puzzles were a good thing, like, for as kids, even, like, when we recorded with you last, and what a great skill that is to, to be able to see things and think creatively how they all go together. How would you say that you, um, all your creativity there at the museum um, has an impact? And, I, and I'm sure you can go a lot of different ways with this of like in uh, internally, externally. So I'm hoping that kids walk in the door, get onto the floor, they immediately go, wow. And they see something and they go, I want to do that. I want to learn more about that. I, oh my gosh, I never know you. But I also want adults to walk in the door and go, whoa, I've never seen that before. What is that? Really quick, let's read that. What is it? Oh, man, I never thought. I want it to happen to everybody of all ages. And so I want that inspiration, that moment of realizing that, wow, the world is bigger than I thought. There's broader horizons out here, and I can learn things about it. And I want to go out and learn more. I want to become more. I want to experience more. Um, that's how I hope the creativity that bring to a museum setting, bring to paleontology. I mean, okay, it's cool that I can describe the shape of the articulations and the stuff of a knuckle bone of a foot of a plant. That, that's great. How is that going to get people fired up? You know, this is where you take that technical knowledge and you apply it in a way and translate it to where people can understand both the general public and also my my professional colleagues where I can say, this is a unique and different bit of anatomy that we have to look at. Think, look for when you understand how this goes and have them go, oh, wow, I should look at that one. Just like people walking in the museum, oh, wow, I never thought about that little bit of anatomy. Oh, well, now we've got to go look at some more. So many different levels of impact. Mm -hmm. um, and 
doing. So hopefully it makes the world a better place for somebody. Absolutely. If there was one parting comment or word of advice for our listeners, what would it be? Don't be afraid to learn. Go out and explore. See the world around you. Go to nature. Take the facts in your own hands. Look and see for yourself. I love it. So simple. Yeah, I have to attribute that correctly. That is not a quote of mine. That is actually etched onto the facade on the front of the University of Michigan. Go to nature. Take the facts in your own hands. Look and see for yourself. Wow. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Ron. This has been such a joy to talk with you about creativity and impact today. Thank you for all the amazing work that you're doing at the Perot Museum. Well, thank you for asking me. And uh, again, I hope everybody gets inspired, not just in paleontology, but in all sorts of other things. And thank you for doing this. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode on the Edge of Creativity podcast. Be sure to follow so you don't miss any of our upcoming conversations. We'll see you next time.